we are very much so focused on not getting into races that we're not going to win. You know, mm-hmm. this is the, this is the trap we see that a lot of people fall in. They, they run for things with ambitions and with goals and it's great, but they're not winnable. And mm-hmm. that's the unfortunate reality that happens to a lot of people with a lot of ambitions. everybody and welcome to another episode of the Martha Community Podcast. I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Joshua M. Thomas. He's a member of the Martha Church in Greater Washington and per his LinkedIn profile, he's a board member of the Prince George's County Board of Education and he's also director of recruitment for Teach for America. Joshua Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much, George. It's an honor to be here. And for those who are listening, I must have met George when I was a teenager, I imagine, must have been at a high school or maybe middle school. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, so here we are a decade and some change later. And so I I could not be more honored to be here. So thanks. And so to clarify, you were in middle school. I was done with college. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you were, you were like, I think, after college, living in the area, you were the Achachin who you randomly know, guess, showed up in church, yeah. telling you what to do. That's and, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why weren't we standing upstairs during the Kobana? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fond memories. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. That's great. Very good. Thanks for having and me. Thank you, Josh. No, it's uh, as I was saying before we started here doing this podcast. Uh, from one angle, it's kind of just an excuse for me to catch up with people. That I haven't seen in a long time and talked to, especially because the more I talk to, the more I catch up with people, I'm finding out they're doing all these awesome things. So (laughs) I've been following you and your your work for a little while on Facebook from from a distance. So I want to get into all of that. But first, I kind of wanted to explore just you know, how you got there a little bit. So can you talk to everybody just to help set the stage a little bit about your background growing up and education? Yeah. So just a little bit of context to my story. I am currently on the Prince George's County Board of Education, but I am born and raised here in Prince George's County. So I am a true native of the area. So yeah, born and raised here Graduated from Prince George's County Public Schools in uh, 2010 and also born into the Martha Church of Greater Washington, a lifelong member. Um, I, I, I uh, definitely can say my attendance record was a little bit better at, at the younger ages, but, <laughs> but I am still in D. I consider myself an active member. And so that's a little bit about my background in terms of growing up in the area. I went to college nearby at Howard University. So shout out to any of my HBCU family that might be listening to this. I was, as most good Indian children are, a biology major as an undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should, you know, I should start a tally about how many people I've interviewed who say that. But who started, yeah. started <laughs> up as a bio major or saying that they're good, good yeah. Indian kids? So, so, well, start started off uh, pre med, pre med route. Started off pre med, and yeah. I, you know what? I finished pre med. Mm. 
I just didn't, I didn't ever drop the pre. I'm still pre-med, George. Okay. <laughs> there's, always, there's always the possibility. That's good. <laughs> no, the, no, the possibility is, is ruled out for me. But I did finish okay. my, I, did, I never, I never changed my major is what I'm saying. I was okay. bio, I did stay pre-med throughout. And truthfully, if I'm being, being really honest, I did want to go into a career in medicine. I mm-hmm. My parents never were the type to be like, oh, you really need to do that. And they never, they never said like, oh yeah, like, you know, you either can choose engineer or doctor. They never did that. So, you know, I, I will give them their credit. You know, they, they, they pretty much let us choose. However, you know, part of how our culture works is it's one parents telling, you know, their children, oh, these are good career paths, whatever. But then it's also, this is all of us, whether we're more malu, wherever, wherever we come from in the world, it's what we see around us. And so- mm-hmm. I grew up seeing all of my, you know, the overwhelming majority in the medical field. And then I went to a magnet high school that was a science and technology program. So, and I, and I liked science and I was good at these things. So it's, you know, a lot of what we end up doing definitely is influenced by what we're around. So then it comes time to like, you know, what I'm going to major in. I was like, yeah, well, I like, like science a lot. And you know, know a lot of doctors. It seems like this is a good path. My parents, my obviously, I said I'm pre med. My parents loved the idea, so yeah, you know, like, <laughs> not much, right. op- not much opposition, right? You know, and it was like also you know, when I think back to that time. There, I first of all, of all, I have no regrets. But if now, if I know what I knew now, or sorry, if I knew now what I know. If I knew then what I know now, there you go. <laughs> then I I would probably have picked a different major coming in. But again, no regrets. I'm happy with the way that my story has played out. Yeah, you you didn't know. I think you set it up pretty pretty nicely. Like you, yeah, you knew you liked something, and yeah, right. yeah. But when I think back to that time, right, I never might never crossed my mind. Oh. I should go into business or, oh, I should go into communications. The only other thing that I think I can remember starting to consider towards the end of high school, and it was very faint, it wasn't a serious consideration, was the potential of becoming a teacher. Funny enough, it was really true. When I think about my story, I don't think about that moment enough. I had gotten the opportunity to tutor a few, some of my our neighbors in, in, in where we lived. I was also part of like a local tutoring group and then even... When I did get to college, I did some tutoring as well. And so those experiences, I remember enjoying them a lot and feeling very impactful from them. I remember thinking like, oh, I'm really good at, I'm really good at like kind of explaining concepts to people and doing it in a way that makes it, makes them feel good. And, and, and I was like seeing them do well on their tests and stuff. So I remember like feeling kind of happy about that. And so truthfully, I, I remember this moment riding in the car with my mom once and mom you're listening to this right now so hey (laughs) yeah you mentioned your mom is one of my fans so that's great (laughs) so my mom is one of your big fans and you know I was in the car with her like a week ago and she's like oh have you listened to George's podcast I was like I think I'm gonna be on that soon mom so (laughs) Nice. So, 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 and so, so maybe, maybe she'll finally say she's proud of you and me yeah. for that matter. <laughs> you know what? I, I uh, don't, you know what? I don't know that I've ever heard my parents verbally say that, but <laughs> I, I, think, I think I tell them, I tell myself in my mind that they are. That makes me feel okay. Of course they are. <laughs> so, but, so, okay. So go on. So I remember I was in high school. I think I was in either 11th or 12th grade. And I remember telling my mom, you know, mom, 
what about like, you know what I was thinking? I think I would make a really good teacher. You know, what about, like, what about that? And my mom's response was, well, you know, you could, you could do that, but you know, you could do, you could do something better than that too. You know, you could do more. I know mom, mom, sorry. I'm putting you on blast right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, I think it's fair. Very fair. Right. I, cause I, I don't explicitly remember that conversation with my parents, but I, I, I like in a general sense, remember having that vibe, right? Of because it crossed my mind too, very similar. You know, I did a little bit of tutoring and things. So I talked about it with people. And yeah, it it wasn't given kind of that same admiration, right? Yeah. As some of the other careers. And yeah. I was just thinking about that the other day in, you know, getting ready for, for this interview about like, you know, why is that? Because when we listen to our parents and they talk about their teachers. Right. It's oh, like, yeah. it's like next to God. It's like, yeah, yeah. oh, you know, and then they, they, they like ran in, run into somebody randomly. It's like, oh, that, oh my gosh, that was my teacher. Yep. And like, I need to go talk to them. And, and it's like, but then we talk about our teacher, or like, I want to become a teacher. Mm, yeah. You, you could do better. You yeah, could do better. You, you could do something else. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and so, you know what? You know, my mom's and no, no parents, no parents that would agree with that statement are here to advocate for that, that opinion. So mm-hmm. let me, let me speak for them and say it, it obviously makes some sense in a lot of ways, right? I mean, sure. obviously they're, they're, they're considering first and foremost income and financial stability, which in this country, there is no secret that teachers are underpaid and overworked, right? So mm-hmm. any parent who cares a lot about their child does not want to set them up for a life in which they're going to be underpaid and overworked. So, 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 so there, there, one is that. And then again, another piece is representation, right? It's not something that we see a lot of our people do. So therefore there's not enough of of a data set to say, okay, we've seen enough people do this and seen them be really super duper successful in the way that, that our folks define success. Right. So then there's that lack of exposure, if you will. So I think those two, I think, stand out, stand out as like some of the biggest things. And then there's the comparison. There's the juxtaposition between that and what, what is quote unquote considered better, right? Well, there, these are very financially stable jobs that you can come right out of your schooling. And, you know, if you've, if you're an engineer, aren't you an engineer, George? Yeah, yeah. I am. I you're am. an engineer well, by 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 education, right? And yeah. then, and similar to your story, I've talked about this before, but uh, nobody really pushed me to do it. But I was like, math, science, yeah, great, cool, yeah. mechanical engineering. Oh, you can do a lot of things with that. Like, okay, good enough for me. And I went into that. And for me, I got just about to the end, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. Mm. Like, meaning, like the pure true like technical engineering stuff i was like this is not something i want to (laughs) do and at that point you mean you didn't want it you didn't want to wake up and every day do pure engineering work i I didn't want to like design race cars every day (laughs) yeah (laughs) right and so that kind of similar to your story i remember asking my dad and I'm, i'm sure i've talked about this before on the show but I ran it past my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, what if I were to switch to pre-med, right? Because that's the only other thing that I hear people talking about Bingo. all the time. <laughs> and my dad was like, mm, maybe that's not such a great idea right now. You're like almost done. How about you just finish? And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll do that. But then long story short, I finished my engineering. I got into the workforce and 
started down a career of a project management. Now I'm, I'm a little bit more change management side, but cool. yeah, the, the mindset was still definitely what you were talking about. It's like, yeah. I want, we want our kids to have a quote unquote good job, which is defined yeah. by they'll be able to get a job. Number one, right. it's going to have a, it's going to be stable and it's going to have a good income. Yep. And yeah. in, in, you know, a part of that, that little web of things mm-hmm. is then our parents prioritizing, oh, I want my child to get married, right? And so yep. I, 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 in their mind, they're also, oh, well, I want them to marry a nice Malayali, potentially, hopefully a Marthama, you know, spouse. Sure. And uh, then, Bonus. then and, 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 and well, I know what their parents might want, uh, right? So these, yeah. these are all a big part of this, this web. And for, for our community, and specific, specifically our parents' generation, for them and well before them for, for hundreds of years, I think in Kerala, there's been a lot of let's stick to what we know works, right? If we, we have a model that works, let's yeah. stick with it. Let's yeah. stick with it. Let's not try new stuff. We don't need to try new things. <laughs> let's stick with it. Right here. I am now. I'm a guy with long hair. I got a big beard. I wear earrings on my ears. It's a big deal. But what's the big deal? It's just different, right? And our people are very much so, you know, focused on let's let's stay safe because because it's secure, right? We know this is these are tried and true models. My my cousin did it. My 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 cousin brother, my co-brother did it, right? Like all these people did it. <laughs> yeah. And they're all okay. So let's stick with that. This is a model that works. Yeah. And I know that that's that's where our parents like mindset is it's just like focused on security. They, they, they loved us. They, they raised us for for our whole lives. They want to make sure that they're like setting us up for success. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes there's this anxiety around doing things that are not a part of this tried and true formula. Yeah. Right. So, so I had this conversation with my mom. She says this, yeah, you could, you could do that. She said it like that. You could do that, but you could do something better. And I think I asked a little bit more, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I don't really remember her response. I imagine she might've said something about like income level. And then I think she definitely was just like, you know, you're extremely smart and like you have the potential to, you know, become a doctor or whatever. I don't know what she said, but that was pretty much it. I didn't push back a lot. I didn't ask questions. I just remember thinking, okay, okay. I was like, kind of took it and I was like, okay, it's, it's not like I didn't want to, it's not like I wanted to switch. I was just suggesting, Hey, I think I could be good at this Yeah, it's a conversation. Yeah what, you, yeah. what do you think about it? And, just, you know, yeah. and I kind of like left it there. So then fast forward a couple of years later, I go to college and, you know, I'm, I'm like junior year is when spring semester junior is when pre-med students are taking their MCATs. They're like starting to figure out, all right, what's next. And, you know, it was a combination of things for me that got me to the point where I ultimately decided I wasn't going to go straight into medical school. The combination was truthfully one that I was just like generally not ready from an application standpoint. I mean, I think I could have gotten into some of the lesser, less, lesser competitive schools. Mm-hmm. I think I could have. I never applied. So that's part of it too. But, yeah. you know, I had a like average GPA and my MCAT score was also like just okay. And so for one, I think I felt discouraged about my potential as a candidate and like feeling like, okay, you know what? I'm, I don't think I'm really ready for this. But then there was also a part of me that 
like had this desire to like do something different, do something a little bit off of the traditional path to med school. And, you know, George, you know this, and you know, for, for, for millennials and, and Gen Zers listening to this, know that this, this whole gap year concept is very much more normalized nowadays, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. This, this concept of like, okay, before I go to my next grad school pathway, maybe I do some kind of meaningful one or two year experience that will allow me to grow more and learn more. And I'll, it'll also be a job. So I will have income. Right. And I go on and keep doing my thing. Right. Yep. So that yep. was kind of what some, yeah, somewhere so came to my mind. Yeah. Before you go on, I, I want to <laughs> expand on that a little bit because it's come up with other people too. So this idea of a gap year, you know, so in my instance, right. So again, that's what like 10 years earlier. So definitely not, it's, I would say it's more normalized now. Not that parents are pro gap year, but at least people are hearing about it and talking about it now. Yeah. But when I was doing it, like, I don't think that was even, a, you didn't, it didn't have a name, right. Gap yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, everyone's like, Oh, okay. You know, why don't you go to your masters? Or, oh, go get your MBA. And I'm just like, when does this end? Like, because yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going into medicine, right? And like I said, I was kind of already burned out by the end of undergrad with engineer- yeah. engineering. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go work. And when I, if I, if and when I decide, I'll then I'll go back and do my MBA or whatever. And that's right. Was, well, and to me, like, even just looking at the applications and going to all the seminars and all this, like, they tell you, like, yeah, you know, sometimes we accept students, you know, whatever. They say what they need to say. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but in the spiel, they're like, oh, but ideally we're looking for people that have some job experience so that they can then build on that yeah. classroom. And I'm just like, so then why would I go do this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. that became my answer to everybody. I'm just like, yeah. no, like that, that it doesn't make sense to go do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, And to be fair, right, I have friends that did go and get their master's right away. People who want to do their MBA right away. You know, you have like a, it's like stay an extra year and you get an MBA. We'll throw an MBA on the top kind of, the, you know, that yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so people do it and are they better off? I guess probably in some ways, shape or form, but it's, I think there was a lot of pressure as you were saying of like following the formula, following the path to security, right? Yeah. Yep. Like education is it was is currency in yep. a, for the previous generation, right? And and the current generation. I, I don't want to belittle education at all, You're right? But it, it was given this the importance of you have to get as much as you can. Yep. And and if you don't do it now, it's only going to get harder when you get married and you have kids, and yeah. which all of that is true. I have a two year old now. Yeah. It's much harder to do anything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So it's it's not incorrect to say that, but does that make it the right thing to do? Right. That's well, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Again, I think you're right, right back to that point, right? This was all a part of a formula that had been tested many, many times, right? And the, mm-hmm. this test, this test had produced pretty much the same results each time. So it was like it's just a safe bet, right? And yeah. but it, but it also included a lot of stipulations that, in some ways, I think our parents had imposed on them, right? You will get married by a certain age, right? You will want to have a family because you will do that, right? So these were all things that I think were a part of the big formula. So if 
you are going to get married. You should do it by this age. So if you do this by this age, <laughs> right. then when will you do your master's, Monet? Like right. you have to do the master's. <laughs> and you know, once you get married, you're gonna have kids, and, and then you can do you, the master's. <laughs> you stuck in. You stuck in a good point earlier too about like this assumption of like, okay, well, our kids gonna get married, and we want them to get married in our community. So we know what the other family is gonna be looking for. That's right. That's right. Or, or not even what they're looking for, but we know what they will recognize yep. and give importance to. Right. Right. So that's where some of these answers come from. So, yeah, somehow we've navigated this far. Let's, yeah. let's see how only let's, time will tell how we turn out, I guess. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, my dad's going to listen to this, too. So, hey, Papa. <laughs> yeah. and, <Yeah>. when, <laughs> and, and, and my dad still would say to me today, well, who would, who would ever want you to marry their daughter? You don't even have a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> so, to me, I'm like, oh, well, wow. Hey, Dr. T, I got married somehow. So, <laughs> no master's here. Hopefully somebody will be out there that will that will deal with a poor soul who does not have a <laughs> master's degree. Um, so, so. All right. So getting back to your, your story here. Right. So you were yeah. where were we at? We were talking about gap year, right? Gap year. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, all right, I know I I know I want to take a gap year. And again, to be to be really honest, a combination of I want to do this and also like dang, I don't think I am going to meet the meet the bar for admission. So, yeah, all right, yeah. let me figure something out, right? So, like most pre-med students, you start to think about maybe I do a post-bac program that's a popular option. Maybe I go be a scribe for a year or, you know, there's all kinds. Maybe I get be an EMT for a year, volunteer at a hospital, do research, right? These are the general options that pre-med students look at for gap years. Sure. And, you know, in the last, I want to say, decade or two, there have been many other options that have come up. And one of the more popular ones is the program that I ended up joining, which is Teach for America. Yep. So do you want to give a quick, uh, quick summary of Teach for America for people who are yeah. not familiar? Yeah. So Teach for America is a, a nonprofit organization that, you know, it's, its mission is specifically focused on ensuring that all children in this country have an excellent education. Right now in 2021, we are very, very far from that being a reality. We're, we're very, very far. There are over 16 million kids throughout the country that are living in poverty or under the poverty line. And we're seeing that over a third of them are not graduating from high school on time or at all. Less than one in 10 of them are graduating from college. And when we think about who's really being affected by this, we should also, also acknowledge that these are mostly our Black and uh, Latinx brothers and sisters uh, who are most disproportionately affected by this. And so our program is focused on pushing towards a day in which every kid, regardless of where they live, their zip code, their family background, the environment they're surrounded by, right? Those are all important factors in determining a kid's educational trajectory. Our program is focused on fighting against this issue of educational inequity, the fact that those things do determine the quality of the education you get. And so our, our program begins with a two-year minimum teaching commitment. And it's during that two-year minimum teaching commitment that you not only are, are getting the opportunity to have an immediate impact on, on the kids that you're working with, the community that you're in, you're also during that time really undergoing your own personal transformation. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're building a sense of purpose and conviction that's grounded in the real lived experiences of the kids and the communities who you're working with. So, you know, 
you are really getting a clearer idea of how your experiences in education and during that two-year commitment may translate to your career long-term. And the reason I say all that is because we know that we can't just solve the problems in our education system only by putting good teachers in the classroom. You know, okay. we, we need good teachers in the classroom, absolutely, uh, who are gonna who are gonna stay in education. We also need lawyers who are going to advocate for the communities who we work with, right? Sure. And for our students. We need we need doctors and medical professionals who are going to find ways to provide more affordable quality healthcare to the communities we work with, right? And that 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 that's a that's a large umbrella. Are you talking about you know hospital administrators, you, you know, for folks that are doing pop-up clinics, yeah. nonprofits, you know. Yeah, as you're as you're saying this, I mean it's it, it's really about getting to the issue of community, right? So the yeah. education is just one pillar of building up the community, right? Precisely, precisely. Okay. And, and so, you know, we need leaders in every sector of society yeah. actively working to, to drive forward this movement of creating a more equitable system. You know, educational inequity isn't just there because of schools. It's there because of income inequity. It's there because of a lack of resources. Again, it, you know, from a from a medical perspective, from a from a community infrastructure perspective, right? So there are so many different pieces to this web that interlocks, and that, that the the big web itself is social inequity, mm-hmm. and and educational inequity stems directly from that. And so Teach for America's vision as an organization is like. We want people to start their careers in, a, in the classroom, teach for at least a two-year commitment. And, and maybe then they stay in the classroom or maybe they end up going and doing something else. Maybe they decide to go to medical school or law school or run for office or whatever they decide to do. But they're going to forever be changed and driven by that experience. Yeah. And they will use that experience to push forward meaningful change in whatever they decide to do. Uh, that's how we get to this one day uh, where all kids have uh, equitable opportunities. And obviously, again, a lofty vision, right? I mean, in, in, in my lifetime, if I'm being honest, for the sake of just being really honest with myself, yeah. you know, we are still so far away from that. And in my lifetime, I don't see it being accomplished, but I do see the fact that we can make significant progress. And so that's an overview of what Teach for America is. Um, Let me just say, uh, as director of recruitment, I think you did an excellent job. <laughs> <laughs> this may or may not be my day job. So, yeah, yeah. so you know, funny as it may have all happened, this was my story. I ended up, I had heard about Teach for America when I was a little earlier in my like collegiate years. I'd heard that it was a program. And then as I was thinking about, oh my gosh, what's next? My mind went back to the tutoring experiences that I had done, my interest in education. I also tutored throughout college. So it wasn't just high school before I was coming to college. I had been tutoring and I was like, you know, I really enjoy this kind of work. There were people that I knew personally who had joined this program and I consulted with them. What do you think about this experience? Et cetera, et cetera. Ended up applying and, and it's also kind of a selective program. It's a pretty tough application process. So typically we see around 15% of total applicants that get an offer. So yeah, in the middle of my senior year of college, I submitted an application, a lot, you know, fast forward, go through the entire interview process and, excuse me, was really lucky to get an offer teaching middle school science in Houston, Texas. Nice. 
And so, so if yeah. I'm if I'm following correctly, so you say you grew up Prince George County. That's through, right. All through school, right? That's right. Howard University also more or less in the area. So you Very much go, so. Yep. Right. So now this was kind of your first delve out into the rest of the world. I'll say it. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. I'm glad that you brought that up because a part of part of that connects to just a part of who I am that I now can can name, mm-hmm. which is just my adventurous spirit. You know, I've. The move to Houston was my first time moving somewhere and living yeah. somewhere. Yeah. But prior to that, I had started already on my adventurous tip. So my soft, after my sophomore year of college, I studied abroad. And let me just take a moment and say, if there are any college students or high schoolers that are listening, and if you made it this far, let this be the moment that you are 100% convinced. Study abroad. Study abroad. You should and, do it. And tell your parents to listen to the episode if they're... They need to hear it too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Studying abroad is is only a great opportunity. So I studied abroad in Spain my sophomore year summer. The next summer, I did like this summer internship in San Diego. My senior year, I did I ended up doing a couple road trips with friends. So like this was really this part of my life where I was starting to discover how much I loved like adventure and, and learning to do things out on my own. So Houston was where I chose for Teach for America. I put it at the top, but you get to rank like about eight to 10 regions. Okay. I actually, actually did have Houston as my number one and I got placed there. And so for me, it was a no brainer. I mean, I, I think I told my folks, Hey, I got the offer, but I didn't ask them. What do you think? I was like, I'm doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. but it was, it was also my first job offer. So like, right, right. there was that part too. Like, it's not like I was like comparing all these things on the table. Mm-hmm. It was it was either I accepted this or I declined the the offer and then I just had to search for other stuff. So, <laughs> which, which you know, uh, to be clear, well, you were you were happy <laughs> that you got yeah, the offer. Right? I was very I was thrilled. I was thrilled about it. I was uh, like, oh my gosh, I yeah. have a job. I don't want it to sound too much like you didn't have any other options, but <laughs> no, oh no, no, no. This was something. Yeah, sorry, maybe I framed it in that. I shouldn't have said it that way. No, no. I, this was something I very much wanted to do. And then yeah. there was also this feeling of anxiety. You know, you get to senior year of college, your whole life you've been going to school. And then you 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 know you get to like college and like you do semesters and at the end of each semester you just sign up for the next semester right? you just keep doing it yeah. and all of a sudden you're like wait i don't have any more things to sign up for <laughs> you're, like, you're like oh my god wait, is this the part where i get a job <laughs> right what, what do i now what do i do now what do i do so then somebody tell things, me yeah yeah and then you're starting to see your peers like are getting jobs you're like oh my gosh like what am i gonna do definitely don't want to go stay at my parents house like so like what am i <laughs> like what am i gonna do like so, you know, then there's also the one, I wanted to do this program. Then two, it's like, yes, I, I have an opportunity now and great. I'm excited about it. So I think I told them, guess what? Great news. I got Teach for America. I, you know, I'm moving to Texas. With, yeah. Yeah. In, in so many words. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's, in, it's, it's in Houston. I think they may, were, may have been like, so what do you think about it? I was like, oh, I'm taking it. And I think they were just like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> wait, you sure don't want to talk about this first? So. So I end up accepting the offer and then, yeah, should I pause here? You, you want to pause me or keep going? Well, I mean, it's up to you, Josh. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say this. I do yeah. want to get into a little bit of your, your role on the board of education. Okay. So it's up to you how much, how detailed you want to get. I can, I can get us there in the next like five minutes, in the next few minutes. 
So, so truthfully, so then I have this offer. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put my dad out there again, but it's not in a bad way, but my, I will just say transparently, my dad discouraged me from accepting my offer to teach for America. Okay. He was like, you shouldn't do this. This is not a good idea. I remember like the, the recruiter people, those crazy recruiters. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody, like I told them all, my dad's like kind of concerned. He thinks like I won't go to medical school. What a fear he had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he thinks I won't go to medical school. They gave me all these resources about all the med school partnerships Teach for America has, the percentage of people who do end up going to med school, their acceptance rates, which was like pretty compelling data. Like, you know, and now that I work on our staff, I know a lot of people that go through our program do go to med school. Very possible. My dad wasn't really buying it and was pretty much opposed to me joining Teach for America, even until the day before my flight to Houston. Like, wow. So, <laughs> I, so having yeah. said that, I yeah. think if we were to fast forward to today, so, so, this, yeah. so how long has it been since you, I guess, started with Teach for America? Yeah, that was seven years ago. Seven years ago. And so yeah. you continue it since then? or did you- Yeah, kind of. So basically, okay. I, I moved to Houston, taught there for a few years. It was my time in the classroom that did exactly what I mentioned our mm-hmm. program is kind of about. You know, I really underwent my own personal transformation. And I really got a better understanding of the issues that were facing my students and their families. I became a lot more passionate about fighting against these issues. And then my original plan was teach for two years and go to med school. That was the plan. Yeah. Uh, it stayed the plan pretty midway through my second year in the classroom. So I get to the, I get to the end of the two years and I'm like, you know, I want to, I'm not done yet. I'm like, I'm not done in education yet. I taught over 300 eighth graders during my two years in Houston. And wow. I was extremely inspired by them but also extremely frustrated with the amount of challenges that were up against them that were never a part of their control. Yeah. You know, and you I to see it firsthand, right? Yeah. Firsthand. I mean, like, I mean, like the list goes on and on. I mean, I, I don't like to dwell on it because it, it unfortunately by talking about it too much takes away from all of the amazing things about my students. Yeah. So like, there is like a, there's like a important line that I think it's important to balance, right? Like there were many challenges that my students faced, but they were not defined by those things. And so many of my students like showed their just incredible talents and gifts and they're doing amazing things. Most of my students are no longer kids. They are all over the age of 18 at this point. And yeah. even though I call them my kids, they're really like all young adults like me. And so and so, yeah, I, I, I say that to say, I mean, just just some really simple things that I think people in our, our Malu American community just have never really had to face and experience. Or at the very least, we don't talk about it. Or I we don't that, talk about it. I think it, that's yeah. a fair thing. Because there, I know there are there are people in our community who face, face yeah. that those challenges, but it doesn't come up. It doesn't come up. We don't right. talk about it. You're right. You're right. And you're, you're exactly right. That, that's, that's a good, that's a good correction there. And so, you know, I think really just understanding and seeing firsthand the experience of what it means to be born into poverty and how that can have a direct impact on your academic and long-term career life trajectory is 
the reason why I do what I do. It's the reason why I was towards getting towards my second year finishing and being like, I'm not really done here yet. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Truthfully, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I wasn't ready to leave the field of education. And so fast forward, I, I knew that I didn't also knew that I didn't want to be in the classroom for another year. Okay. And truthfully just didn't know what was next and ended up another part of um, my life that I don't think we'll come and talk about during this, but I'm extremely passionate about our, our heritage. And I am, I am that uncle in the family that knows um, how everybody's related. I'm like, really, okay. I don't know if you knew that. About I do. Me, I do remember that about you. Yeah. You, yeah. You were very yeah, good like, about knowing your family tree. Yeah. Like where, where's your, where's your, where are your parents from in Kerala, George? <laughs> oh man, you're putting me on the spot now. So my dad's house is in Pullard. And I'm Pullard, saying, okay, I'm yeah. Saying that, yeah, whatever, Josh. Do you, yeah, do you, cool. do you, do you, I absolutely know where that <laughs> no, is. I know, I know you. My know. grandpa, yeah. my grandpa knew about that. Yeah, and that I'm glad you brought up your grandpa. What a great guy! I mean, oh, he, would, yeah. he would all always every every time I saw him, I he would always bring it up. Yeah. my family name. So yeah, wait, wait, what's the, what's the family name? Mamarapalil. Mamarapalil. I remember yeah. you, you remember, yeah. So, so your opportunity would always say, ah, oh, yes. Mamarapalil. <laughs> yeah, he, he would point at you and he'd say, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so I, you know, got my, you know, quick, quickly go through that. My, my grandfather, my grandfather grew up or I grew up with my grandfather in the house. Yeah, yeah. He was very passionate about this stuff. He basically passed it down to me. I am, I literally do ask uncles and aunties where they're from in Kerala. Like even yeah. today, you yeah. know, I asked them that and I care a lot about Kerala geography and which family is which family and who's related. I do, I do remember this about you. Yeah. Yeah. Even, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even when I was a teenager, even when you were a teenager. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I was just scratching the surface. I, I, I've grown a whole lot now. In terms of, so <laughs> the reason I bring this up is I finished my second year in the classroom and I go on this two month backpacking trip to India. I went to India for two months. At the time, I my elder sister, Alicia, was living in Chennai mm-hmm. as a recording artist. And my father was actually working in New Delhi as, as a diplomat for the US government. So it was really the right time to go. I hadn't been since 1999. I had both two of my immediate family there and obviously lots of family. So I brought all this up because I'm on this two month trip. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get back to America. I have <laughs> yeah. no clue. I had no, I had nothing. Sounds set like up. a, sounds like a walkabout. Yeah, exactly. So I like, don't know what, what I'm going to do. I end up meeting up with my dad and he's like, what are you going to do when you get back to America? I'm like, truthfully, I don't know, but trust me, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and literally the last week I'm there, I get an email from my teach for America recruiter who recruited me when I was a senior in college. And she says, hey, I'm looking to hire somebody onto the recruitment team and to lead HBCU recruitment. HBCU's folks is uh, stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Howard University is one of them. And so she said, we're looking for somebody to do some HBCU recruitment. Maybe you might be interested. And I was like, sounds like something I could be good at. And I literally submit the job application from New Delhi at my dad's house there. I end up getting an interview the day I land back in the U.S. And a few days later, I get this job with Teach for America on the recruitment team. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Blessed, highly favored, because that moment in itself literally changed the rest of my life. I mean, each piece, every day, 
we're making little decisions that do change our, our life trajectory. Right. But like that one was monumental. So I end up starting this job on the recruitment team that, that truthfully, once again, at the time, I really thought I was going to do this for a year and then go to medical school. I mean, I was yeah. still, I was still interested. I, I don't think I had really realized that, you know, when you're interested in something, when you really want to do something, you just do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had realized, I think I was still in this mindset of like, yeah, I can keep telling myself I'm interested in this because I'm light and broadly interested in it, but I didn't have the real drive or motivation to actually get it done. Right. right. And so I start this recruitment job and guess what? I loved it. I mean, I like loved, I started loving my job. It was two things. I started loving my job and I was also really good at it. Like uh, I was like this rookie team member who was like outpacing the rest of my peers (laughs) and, and like doing really great in terms of our numbers and our data. And like, I'm like, not only am I enjoying this, I'm like, starting to think to myself, do I, I'm really happy doing this. I was getting to travel a lot, George. Nice. I'm like, so why do I want to? And it's really good to hear that. I mean, you're, you're, you're still in your twenties now, right? That's right. I am. I am. Dude, And and that's awesome to find something like that when you're that young, especially very cool. So not to, not yeah, I know. Cut short, but I do want to talk about how you it's not really a pivot, right? Because you're still working with Teach for America. Right. But how you chose to get involved in local politics as yep. well. So was there anything so, else you wanted to say about your we, Teach for America journey though before we we, we, we are right there. We are we are right perfect. at that we are right at that perfect segue. So let's hear it. So I start like meeting with these students and I start talking about the same issues that I mentioned a little while ago, right? Mm-hmm. Educational inequity. What is it? What can we do about it? Here are some opportunities for you within Teach for America. And here's also then what you can do with your career beyond it. Right? I'm telling you, like all these college students. And, you know, here I am, like, lo and behold, after like 100 of these conversations, I'm like starting to recruit myself. Right. Like, okay. okay. You know, like I'm like telling students, like, yeah, like this is an opportunity to have a really meaningful impact on students. That's not only going to be for them, but for you. You're going to grow and develop, and you're going to use that experience to have a be even broader impact on the community and the world around you. And I keep saying this over and over. And like literally, I remember sitting in the airport and starting to think, wait a second, maybe like I should take this advice. <laughs> like, take my own and, advice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like telling all these students. And so this is also happening at the same time, just to give a timeline where we're in. We are in August 2016 when I start this job. And it's probably November 2016. Yeah, that that Donald Trump wins the presidential election. I also at that time got asked by a friend. Oh, I'm back now in Prince George's County. So I live in the area again. Okay, that's another big piece. Move, come back from India. I'm in the area. I get this job. I start doing it. I start kind of recruiting myself. Uh, a good friend of mine was on the Prince George's County Board of Education. Okay. One of my very good friends from high school. He asks me for help on election day, 2016, to help another candidate, also a, an Indian, South Indian, okay, who's running to be on the Board of Education. 
Mm -hmm. And he says, Hey, I need your help to work a poll. What does working a poll mean? It means that person standing at the polls, holding the flyers for some candidate, telling all the voters as they walk in, Hey, here's this person. Here's why we're supporting her. Need you to go in there and, and mark her on the ballot. Right? So Rahila Ahmed, shout out to my colleague. So I'm, I'm working the polls for her. I do this full day. I've never done anything like this, George. I was never in student government yeah. ever. Okay? I was never a po political science, none of this stuff. And this is my first time doing it. And I remember feeling like people were coming out of the polls and they were like, hey, I voted for your girl. Like, hey, I voted for your friend. And yeah. like getting all this like, yeah. like positive feedback. <laughs> like I'm like, people are like, hey, you're really good, man. I didn't even know who I was going to pick for that, but you're, you convinced me. <laughs> so I like started to think of myself like, oh, like, I, well, no, I, I wasn't even thinking about my own self at this point. I'm just like, oh, wow, I'm really good at this. Later that day, we're all tracking the presidential elections. You know, I was not happy with the outcome that day, but I remember feeling a, a small sense of solace in the fact that the person who I had stood out all day for did win. Very cool. She, she was an outsider in that she was not backed by this big establishment. She was a progressive. She, you know, of course, supported ideas that I cared about a lot. Mm -hmm. And so amidst Donald Trump winning as the U.S. president, I got to be a part of a local um, elected officials campaign on, on the, on the, in the county that I grew up in. And that felt really like, you know, powerful. And so like many millennials, I think 2016 and 2015 were with all of those campaigns that were happening we're really a time that a lot of us started to get very much more dialed in than we had ever been before. Sure. I mean, I can speak for myself in saying like, I was, Bush was like elementary school at some point late in high school, Obama becomes the president. We're like, yay, we all like all love Obama, but I wasn't super dialed in on the issues. Yeah. Like, I didn't know any issues. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait, what's going on? Who's, <laughs> who could potentially replace Obama? And then now we're all like paying attention. Oh, what are all these issues? And that right. was for me. That was for me when I, when I got it. Okay. And so not only was I a part of this local campaign, I start, I'm just paying attention more in general. And so then I start following what happens with the Prince George's County Board of Education. And I started seeing the challenges that Rahila and my friend David and my friend Edward where they were the, these three young progressive members of this board on a board of 13 that were pretty much getting outvoted and silenced on all the issues. Most of the stuff that we vote on as board members, now that I'm on the board, I can, I can say they're, they're non-controversial. Pay the light bill. Yes. We're all, we vote. We all vote to pay the light bill. We all vote to pay the water bill, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> we have to have a school calendar. Yes. We, we've approved this calendar. Every so often there are some, controversial issues that do split votes. Yeah. And they were outnumbered on every single one of those votes. They never could get anything done. And even worse, they, there was an attempt by that majority at the time to kind of like paint them out to be these rambunctious troublemakers, you know, Scooby-Doo, right? We would have gotten away with those. It wasn't those meddling kids, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it, it makes me wonder whether someone's actually said that to you. Is that, uh, no one said. No one said that. No one has said that to me. But it definitely feels like that a lot of the time. You know, you're you're describing this, and it just so happens that we're on a Martha podcast, right? Where I'm, I'm listening, and I'm like, this sounds like how our committees work in in church, right? That's my only real experience in 
being part of like a, a larger board committee type setting. Yeah. And it's, you know, majority of it is pretty routine, right? right. But then things come up and at least when I was involved with church committee, it's, it's like, Oh yeah, you, you young guys are just stirring up, you know, yeah, make, yeah. Making, making waves here. That's What's right. Going on? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. You know, yeah. you guys want four English services. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, but that's, that's a kind of a trivial example, but yeah, I mean, you know, church, new church construction projects and, you know, all kinds of different ventures that the church wants to take on. It's all yeah, but it's, it's, it's very, I think it's all, it's in a way almost refreshing to hear it in a different context, right? You're talking yeah. in the context of the local community yep. versus church community, right? And yep. it's, you deal with a lot of the same yep. issues, right? Or yep. challenges. Yep. So, okay. So, so you're, we, we, we see this happen at every level of politics, George. I mean, yeah. Think about think about what's happening I mean, even, in, in even Congress, in the right? even yeah. in the workplace, right? Even in the workplace, even yeah, the workplace, everywhere. Right? I don't think that in itself is unique. Yeah. But, okay. So you yeah you're, you were talking about you know talking to your yeah. friends on the board. So I was watching I was watching them and I was like, dang these these guys are getting like bullied every step of the way and like Congress and like most elected bodies in this country, you know. It's a democratic system that, and, and even, I guess, on our council and Mandalam, right? Yeah, All of these yeah, groups, yeah, yeah. Yep. right? Where you have a, a total number of people. And if you have to take it, if it has to come to votes, it's a majority vote, right? Yeah. So the, so the magic number for our board is seven votes, right? So it's 13 members. So seven is your magic number. And at the time, the people that I believed um, that I had supported and that I was mostly politically aligned with were three. They were very far from that seven to one. And so I remember a couple months going by, no, Rahila wins in November. And I think it was January or February where I remember sitting in the airport and starting to think, gosh, they are totally getting an unfair like hand dealt to them on this board. They can't do anything. Yeah. Wait a second. What if I take that advice that I've been telling all these students? <laughs> and what if I what if I made a run for the Board of Education, right? Like what mm -hmm. if I did this? I'm from this area. I've been a teacher. I am, you know, born and raised in this county. And I, you know, I got some connections in the area. Maybe this is something I could do. And I think the first person I floated the idea to was Varsha, my sister. Mm-hmm. And I like think I just texted her. I was like, yo, I'm having this crazy idea. What if I, like, I was literally sitting in the airport at Charlotte. I remember that. Yeah. And I said, what if I ran for the board of education? What would you think about that? She was like, wow, I think that's a great idea. I think you'd be great for that. She was immediately very supportive. And I remember being like, all right, all right. Well, like, that's a good, and so is that characteristic of your sister, would you say? Oh, to be like very encouraging and supporting? Yeah. yeah. I think so. I think like relatively, I mean, okay. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm viewed as like a crazy guy in my family. So not all of my ideas are very much so sanctioned. Okay. Uh, but, no, but anyway, that's good. So you started right off the bat with some, some good support. So you talked to Varsha. I talked to Varsha. I bring it up with Dave, who's currently on the board of education at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, what do you think? Like, I feel like I could do this. And he says, he says, you re yo, you run, you want to run? I was like, yeah. He's like, you really? You serious? I'm like, yeah, I think so. I was like, I mean, I think so. 
And I think he was kind of like, all right, what makes you, what makes you want to do that? And I was like, well, I'm a former teacher. So I, I, yeah, think, all, I think I, all, all the reasons that we list, uh, think the things yeah. I said, right. Yeah. yeah. All the things I said. And then I, you know, I, I, you know, think I would, you know, maybe have your support and your advice and maybe you could kind of help me through this. So I think he was kind of like, Oh, okay. And then I brought it up again. <laughs> I brought it up again a couple weeks later. My, my, yeah. We're like actually really good friends. We hang out okay. all the time. We yeah. hang out pretty much every week. I go hanging out again a couple of days later and bring it up. I'm like, what do you think? He's like, if you're really serious about it, I mean, yeah, let's do it. And like, that was it. He's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, what would this, what would this entail? And he's like, well, you need to, first of all, you need to live in the County and you need to live in the district that you're going to, that you're going to run in. And, you know, first would be identifying what, what seat you want. I was like, well, I want the seat that I want the seat that has my high school. Like, I, I grew up in this part of the County. I want that. Makes sense. Part. Yeah. And and he's like, well, that, that's going to be a tough opponent. You know, she's really backed by the establishment. They're going to, they're not going to support you. So it's going to be a tougher race. And, and Dave and I now with, with my, my knowledge of how the, the science of it all works, we are very much so focused on not getting into races that we're not going to win. You know, mm-hmm. this is the, this is the trap we see that a lot of people fall in. They, they run for things with ambitions and with goals and it's great but they're not winnable. And mm. that's the unfortunate reality that happens to a lot of people with a lot of ambitions. So he, my seat wasn't a not winnable one. He was just like, this one's going to be a little harder. And I was like, yeah, but I don't even like the idea of moving somewhere else. Like that's, I've never even lived in those parts of the County. I want to live where I grew up and where I went to school. And so, and so then here's an important fact, which is like, this is now February, March, 2017 that I've decided that I I've tentatively decided I'm going to run and be on the ballot in 2018. Okay. Well, year and a half in, a, in, in advance. Right. And so these are what, two year terms. These are four year terms, four year terms. Okay. Four year terms. So November, 2018 is the district two election. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, okay, what are the things I should do? And he's like, all right, start with fundraising. And how do I do it? Yeah, make a list of other people. And you need me to start reaching out because you're need, going to need to fund your campaign. And so this is just my honest moment, my moment of honesty. Like, I didn't start the real work for months and months and months. I mean, like, you know, you, you, know, you, you know that you have to do these things. And you're kind of like, all right, I don't really not really ready to begin. You see this kind of overwhelming like wall that you have to climb. And you're like, once you start climbing, you will just keep going. But sometimes just getting on it and moving up is the biggest challenge. Right. And I was also enjoying my new life back in the area and enjoying my job and my travel. Yeah. So so. what would you say kind of got you over that, that, initial hump right of, of getting on and, and starting the work like was yeah. it did someone say something was it kind of a just a moment of reflection yeah you know dave was kept asking me so what's what's, when what's you going gonna, on when you're gonna start <laughs> and you're gonna start you know yeah, and yeah. you know we, you know we, we've told our other people that you're gonna be our person but you know, they're not seeing any movement so he kept saying it and i kept being like oh yeah i know i need to do it but i still again wasn't dialed in wasn't focused and it was a moment. It was a light bulb moment for me finishing 2017, going into 2018. And like, mm-hmm. here I've gone now. Eight, Down to the months. wire. Here I've gone now. Eight, well, the election's not till November 2018, right? So right. it's still another year 
ahead. Okay. But here I am now. I've made, made a decision eight, eight, nine months ago that I'm going to run for this seat. I've now been doing a lot of talking about it. Oh, mom, dad, I'm going to run for this seat. Oh, Marsha and George, guess what? I'm going to run for this seat. Yeah. And I'm like telling all these people, they're like, great. And I'm like, now I'm like at this point where I've told all these people and I still haven't done anything about it. Right. Yeah. And it's like finishing up the year and I'm going into 2018 and I'm like, all right. I haven't really done anything about that idea that I had. And so my, my truthfully, my thoughts at the point at that point were, do I keep, do I, do I really do this or is this too much? And should I just cut my losses? Hmm. I didn't, hadn't lost much. I hadn't invested a penny at this point. I just talked a lot about it. And then I said to myself, you know what? I haven't even tried. Like I haven't even really tried doing <laughs> yeah, anything. Right. How on earth am I going to rule this out for myself? And I've to- told all these people I'm going to do it. Let me do it. Let me go ahead and get started. Fundraising's hard. Fundraising is a hard first place to start. I'd say for any first time candidate, now that I know what I know, I would never recommend starting there because it's hard just to get on the phone and call the people that you love and ask for them to contribute to your campaign, you know, especially in our community, right? We, we like, don't do a lot of, like, we don't, we don't do a lot of asking people for things like that. And so, you know, there's, there's like a, there's like a kind of a feeling of embarrassment around doing it. And that just definitely had me apprehensive. Right. You know, it's interesting you say that because the first thing that come to mind is when I'll use air quotes here, quote unquote, a need is identified in our church community, right? And that need could be debatable, in my opinion, but it comes up and suddenly it's like, okay, we're calling up all the members. Hey, you need to to contribute a hundred dollars. You need to contribute whatever. And it's just like in your face and nonstop until you do it. That's right. And it's like, how is that? Okay. And yet here you are trying to do something. Yeah. Unity. And again, it's not that anyone said or did anything specific, but just that feeling of like, oh, this is not okay, though. Yeah. So yeah. that's very interesting. You, you know, here, yeah. here's a, here's a, here's an important part, right? Now, fast forward. It was very okay. The Marthama community and the, the Malu community was a huge part of my success. Awesome. I, I received a an immense amount of support from them that feeling was mostly self-imposed. I mean, it was, it was a feeling of how can I come to this uncle and auntie and ask them for this, that, you know, is, is just something very different. Again, it's not something that I, we, we see a lot of our people do. And, you know, I think there were some like family members early on that I called that maybe didn't give me the best responses. Yeah. So I think that had me wary. Oh my God. How can I call George's mom and dad? Like uh, my own, my own uncle didn't, you know, want to contribute. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I think there's like early things are kind of scary. And then it's also like important of, about like understanding the amount of time that goes into it. It has to be a dedicated hour, two hours of call time. Right. And like, call and go through your list. And, and I also, this is the other thing about it is I don't like to think of it as a list because these are people that I really care about. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to call George and be like, George, can I get a contribution? No way. You know, I, I first just want to even know how you're doing and, mm-hmm. you know, talk about your life and catch up. And I also don't want to ask you for this because I need it. I want to ask for it because 
I want you to believe in what I'm running for. I want mm-hmm. you to believe in this cause and this mission. And so that takes time, right? Yeah. And, you know, it takes practice to, to, to figure out how do I use my time well? How do I make sure I talk to people in a way that's authentic? And, authentic, and, and, meaningful, concise, all of these things at the same time. All these right? things at once. <laughs> and as for the first time I'm doing this. Yeah. And, and as, as you now see, I am not concise. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah. There's that part. So that, that fear, I think, kind of held me back. And there was a moment where I was like, okay, I kind of got to start. And then the other piece of it that really got me started was getting out and knocking on doors. Okay. And the way I did it, the way I was able to do it was because I had somebody like Dave, my friend who I keep referencing was on the board with me. Yeah. Who literally came out and knocked on the doors with me. Right. Every single day for like several weeks and months until he eventually built the capacity in me to be able to stand on my two feet and go out on, go out on my own, whether he was joining me or not. Right. But I always reflect on it. You know, if he had never said today, you're going to meet me here and we're going to do this. And he showed me how to do it. If he had never done it that way, there's a good chance, George, that I would have kept saying, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get around to it and I, I don't know how to start. I don't know where to begin. So much of like these kinds of things it depends on the type of person you are. A lot of people are very self-driven. They can, they can will themselves to do things, but sometimes people, people like me need, need somebody with them to say, Hey, like, let's do this together. Yeah. Right? And there's then, nothing wrong with that. I there's nothing wrong you, with it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. So he started coming out with me. And before you know it, I, you know, went from being an amateur to a, to a pro canvas quite quickly. I started knocking on doors every single day. And by the end of my campaign, we had knocked on about 11,000 doors in district two here in Prince George's County. And we had gathered about a little over 2000 people who decided to put our sign in their yard. And those were all a lot of the real key pieces that resulted in us winning the election in November. It it, it wasn't, uh, if we had fundraised, more that would have been awesome and that would have been a big help but it was mostly grassroots on the ground walking around knocking on people's doors that really resulted in 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 the election win in november awesome yeah and now here you are acting member of of the board that's right i am i sit as the vice chair of the policy and governance committee on the prince george's county board of education I serve currently as the chair of the board office reorganization committee, a couple of committee assignments. And more than that, I, more than those committee roles, I really value my position in representing district two, which consists of about six different cities that, that are in my district. So lots of folks say, Oh, what's next mayor. And I was like, well, actually, actually, no, it's a little bit different. There are a few mayors that are in my district. Okay. So I am in County government and this is the, this is one of the largest counties in the country. Our school system is the 22nd largest school system in the country and consists of a $2.1 billion budget. So I think a lot of folks are used to school boards being something that is involves a very small locality, especially in Jersey. You're from, you're from New York. New York, yep. From New York. In Jersey, there's tons of school boards because they're all really small. Most of the school boards have one or two elementary schools, one or two middle schools and a high school. Okay. Whereas, whereas Prince George's County, 
we oversee over 200 schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And over 20,000 employees, over 135,000 students. Mm -hmm. So this board is a little bit different and more comparable to a larger school system, say more like Houston ISD in, in Houston or New York City Public Schools, which is the largest school system in the country, Los Angeles Unified School District. So these are large school systems that the dynamics of, of governance look entirely different than you know a, a, a small local township, say, that has a smaller district. So those are some of the differences that I think a lot of folks don't understand about this board of education and, and, and why my work is unique in that way. And so with it being so large, I mean, I don't know whether that is or isn't a factor, but you know, how much of a time commitment are you talking about these days? Cause you yeah. still have your, your day job, right? That's right. Yeah. Folks, I think don't realize that this is that my board of education job is not my full-time position. Right. I, I will I say this all the time. I would love for it to be, I would love to just focus on school system stuff all day long. Of course, the the flip side of that and the negative side of that is that it would be increased taxpayer dollars towards making sure these people have, these board members are doing their full-time jobs. Yeah. So I don't necessarily support making our board full-time. I really don't. I, I believe in saving some taxpayer money there. I don't know that the returns would be significantly greater, although I do think that they would be greater if we were all full-time. So yeah. the time commitment um, for me looks like anywhere between an additional um, 10 to 20 hours uh, a week. Wow. Some some weeks busier than others. This week is a 20-hour week for sure. So Yeah. I mean, um, so when you when you put a number on it, right? I mean, there's there's no shame in calling it a true part-time job. That's right. Sense, that's right? right. That's right. So, you know, not being from PG County, but I'll say, I'll still say it, you know, thanks for, for putting in the time and for hey, doing yeah. the work. I, I appreciate it. It is my, it is truly like, I mean, it sincerely like the greatest honor that I've had to have this opportunity to represent, you know, my over 50,000 constituents and making sure that their voices are amplified and heard when it comes to these important issues that, that we vote on, on our board. So yeah, like I said, about 10 to 20 hours. And again, some weeks busier than others. This, this one's definitely a 20 hour week. And, and the good thing about it is at this moment in time, I don't have a wife. I don't have any children. <laughs> and so I, you know, it's, it's really just me and, you know, making sure I'm making time for my mom and dad and my sure. people that are close you know, to me. You know, we're, we're just about at the end of the interview here, but I, I, yeah. I appreciate that you said that. Because again, drawing the parallel to to the church stuff, right? Yeah. Serving on the committee and people talk about like you know sitting in meetings endlessly and you know, all that. and it's like, okay, well, you've got, I'll say, generally speaking, older older spectrum of members who are in these meetings, right? And they have families and they have kids, yeah. Yeah. right? And then it's like I remember sitting around because my dad or, or whoever, you know people are in meetings and so I can't do other things, you know, maybe choir or whatever it may be. Right. 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 And then it's like, okay, in order for me to be in the committee, I need my wife's buy-in. Right. As uh, a, yeah. Especially as a, you know, a young newly married person, you know, I was getting involved in, in church, right. church politics. Right. And then, you know, once we had our son, it's like, okay, now how am I supposed to like buy the time? Because it's, it's I think the point I'm, I want to make is, it just appears to be a very different dynamic, right? If mm -hmm. my dad said like, Hey, I'm going to this meeting, he went to the meeting and like, that was that. 
Like, right. Was, right. Right. Know, like no, no disrespect, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not going to do that. Like, hey, yeah, of, like, of course. First of all, that's not going to fly. And second of all, like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, and a lot of times that that came to that became a point of conflict in how yeah. we were scheduling meetings. Yeah. Right. Because they're like, yeah, oh, we need to yeah. have a committee meeting about such. And such. I'm like, you can't just just schedule meetings just yeah. like willy nilly like yeah, whatever. Right, right, right. and then we sit there for like the entire Saturday out of right. like guys I, like there are emergencies and then there are like oh we should have planned for this like, yeah so I don't know kind of, yeah. it's just when you said that like you know like you know okay you're not married you don't have your family now so you yeah, have the yeah, time yeah. I think the other point there is you know people talk about having younger people involved in whether it's politics, whether it's church uh, organizations with any, any type of volunteer activity. And then are we making the space for them? Right. 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 That's one. And then it's like, okay, the other advantage is they have the time. Right. And I'll, I'll say the energy, yeah. <laughs> you know, in some instances, to do a lot of this work and a lot of the legwork that we're, that we're looking to do. Right. Right. So talking about, you know, you were mentioning like, okay, new programs and new uh, ideas and new projects. They're the ones interested in it and they have the time to work on it. Exactly. Let's let them do that. (laughs) Or at least be supportive of it. Yeah. And at least again, I'll, I'll speak from my experience. It's like, once you throw your hat in the ring, so much of the energy gets diverted into, I didn't. I didn't do any fundraising to be on the church committee, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a little bit of uh, like, "Hey, I need your support. You know, vote for me," kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah it's like, and then once you're in there, it's like, okay, you gotta gotta influence and and talk it up, and you know, it's not just sitting in the meeting and getting things done. Yeah, yeah. I gotta show up. I gotta come up with whether they're what policy proposals or new ideas and make sure that the that people I'm representing feel like, yeah, this guy isn't representing me actually. So that's, that's good. Yeah. So you know? all, all that to say, I, I completely agree with you. Like it's great that you're involved this early on in your career. I think it's important that when we do see young people stepping into roles that we are not only supportive of them. Right. But as you talked about your friend, right. Literally sometimes they just, they need someone to hold their hand because they don't, yeah. they don't know any better. Yeah. And I say they, you know, that includes me too, but I'm doing something new. So yeah, all this, Josh, to say that I'm really proud of you. I'm really impressed. I'm, I hope your mom will say it too after hearing this <laughs> and your dad for that. Maybe matter. one day, maybe one day, <laughs> George, I know I've gone way over time. Oh, if, you're I fine. Could just, if I could just say one, one like piece, parting yeah. piece, if I may. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and this is really like, I guess my like, I don't know, my own little insight. I've got a, a lot of, hopefully a lot of life ahead of me and a lot of growing and learning and, and wisdom gaining to do. I okay. But like, I want to just like, kind of share like some, some takeaways from like what I've figured out so, thus far. And, like the first is like, you know, from a political perspective and thinking about our people in our community getting engaged politically this is a this is a quick bite, which is as simple as this, right? We are the fastest growing group in this country, you know, ethnically, ethnicity wise. Yep. And we are the least represented in elected office. And what we what we as Indian Americans have to 
really acknowledge and accept, and personally, I think do something about, is that all the other communities are starting to organize mm-hmm. and really and really make sure that their voices are heard and amplified. And it's important that we prioritize that for our own. And so I looked at the Board of Education and, and this part wasn't an ethnicity background, but excuse me, of the of the 13 people making decisions for Prince George's County Public Schools, literally 12 of them had never worked in a classroom or taught at all. Like they never worked in education. Wow. That's a little surprising. You know, you take a look, Google your local school system leaders. This is generally the, the how it goes across this country. Yeah. Most of the people making decisions about public education in this country have never actually worked in a school setting. Yeah. It does not mean that their ideas are terrible. It doesn't mean that they're horrible, you know, practitioners. But it does mean that they are lacking a, a certain amount of insight and experience that could very much so inform the work that they're doing. Sure. M- my personal opinion is we need more people making decisions about schools and students who have actually worked in education. And, and we need more representation of all backgrounds across the board. It's just like one piece for people that are uh, like you know, of our background that are considering getting into uh, a political role. For me, again, it was two pieces of it. There was my education background, and then there was also my awareness of my identity and how underrepresented we are and wanting to do something about that. And the other piece of it is then, I think for, this is really my thoughts for, for, for young people that are now in a place of figuring out what to do with their careers, whether you're in college, high school, maybe you're out of college, so I'm trying to figure out what's next. And for their moms, dads, and loved ones who are concerned about what they might do. My opinion on it all is that there's, you know, I know you, you agree with me on this, but like, there is no right or wrong answer that, that we are, there is no race. It is, it is truly a marathon. And I, the reason I say that is because most of this podcast here was kind of me telling my story. And the main part of the story is, uh, you know, God had, you know, his hand upon all of these little pieces of it. Right. Sure. I, you know, I, I had a plan what I was going to do with my future as a 17 year old going to college. And that is absolutely nothing, you know, <laughs> aligned with what I currently do. But the important thing is, you know, there were points where my parents were concerned. What am I going to do? And how is this all going to work out? But the important thing is that as long as, you know, you know, you keep your feet moving and you continue to try to put yourselves in positions that, that you are happy and that you like doing what you're doing, finding things that feel meaningful to you, you will never be wrong. You will never lose. And, and so, you know, for me, it was kind of following that gut feeling of wanting to teach, then really ending up landing in recruitment. And if it wasn't for recruitment, I would have never recruited myself to run for office. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and now here I am thinking about what's going to happen in 22, you know, 2022, that's when my term is up. And so I have to figure out what's next. So I say all this to say, you know, it, 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 I remember being very anxious as a senior in college, what am I going to do? And I remember my parents kind of sharing that anxiety. And I know that what I am doing now was never their plan, but I am extremely happy about my story to this point. There is so much more to be written. And I think trusting, trusting in, in, in the creator and, 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 and that divine power and that what that has on you know, my and all of our lives is one piece of it. And then the other piece is just trusting what you know, you, know, you find to be meaningful. And when you follow that, you'll, you'll never go wrong. And so 
you know, for, for, for parents who are anxious about what your kids are going to do. I, I, I say this, I said this at the Carol Association event. I'm like, like, tr- trust, trust that your kids know what they're doing, right? They, they got like brains of their own. They're like, have really great ideas. And it's not going to be the linear path that we thought was this tried and true method. Right. The, 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 the safe method that we, our community has depended on for so long, it is safe, but there are other safe outcomes and it's, <laughs> it'll all be okay. So that's, I just wanted to make sure if, you know, if you, if it's too long, feel free to cut that, but. Oh no, no, no. I think that's an excellent, excellent point to end on Josh. Thanks for the time. I look forward to continuing to follow your, your progress and I would love to sit down with you again. Chat some Thank more. you. Thank you so much, George. I appreciate what you're doing. I select you. We'll be in touch. That concludes my interview with Joshua Thomas. If you enjoyed our conversation, I'd love to see your comments at facebook.com slash Martha podcast, or you can always send me an email at George at Martha Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to hearing from you.